This is Cabernet and True Crime, the place where good wine and true crime come together. Howdy, friends! Uh, sorry, I don't know what happened to last week's. Well, I posted it on Thursday, but I filmed that. Filmed? We're off to a fantastic start. As you know, if you're a returner or if you're new here, I don't ever edit my podcasts. I just kind of record it and zippity-zoop it right on out. You know how it'd be. Um, so I filmed the last son of a bitch. <laughs> Recorded the last episode on June 1st. It was right after my birthday. Uh, I never posted it. Don't know why. Don't know what happened to my brain space. But I, I am realizing now, which I had a, I had a, a wow, I, this is off to a horrific, horrific start. Um, just bear with me because it will get better. I will find my brain eventually. Um, I was in the shower before this and I was thinking about, you know, like just everything that's going on in the world, you know? And uh, like, I never posted that episode and then I was like beating myself up about it, but there's no reason to beat myself up about it because here's the deal. Everybody's situation in this and everything going on and the, the global situation, everything, everybody has been affected in one way or the other. You can't tell me there's one person who who their life has not, at least one tiny facet of their life hasn't changed because of this, right? I mean, like, even going to the grocery store nowadays is not normal. Like, nothing's normal anymore. So no one's situation in this has been the same, and I, I will say that boldly, too. I don't think anybody has experienced this the same way because there are two people who could live almost the exact same lives and go through the exact same circumstances but one of those people might handle it better than another you know what I'm saying um I personally have been struggling a lot with my mental health and depression and I know I am not alone in that and um it's really difficult to compare yourself to people around you your peers and your coworkers and etc and it's it's really difficult to see those people who are really just killing it they're doing awesome during this time you know like they wrote a book they re- renovated their whole house they got six packs you know which i think is kind of what we all thought we would do in the beginning of this and we definitely all didn't and I mean, good for them. That's awesome. But I know myself included, a lot of people did not handle this that way. Um, you know, some days, I mean, I've still been working this whole time. I know a lot of people have, but some days like getting out of bed and brushing my hair is like, that's the best I can do, you know? Um, so like I said, no one's situation in this has been the same, but any way you choose to cope with it is in my honest opinion, acceptable. If, you know, you're doing the best you can, and if that's all you can do, if getting out of bed and eating is all you can do, then, like, that's, that's it, you know? That's your life. That's, that's acceptable. Because I don't think any of us are coming out of this completely unscathed, you know? So I guess as long as you don't turn to murder um, in these trying times, however you choose to cope with it, do it. You know, it's read a book, draw a bath, stay in bed, go to work, learn a new hobby, write a book, you know, however you pick to choose your time, as long as it makes you happy, or at least is comfortable, or something that you want to do, then do it. Okay, cool. Glad we could have that little pep talk. It was mostly well, not mostly, but it was kind of for me too. So (laughs) I'm going to uplift you guys while at the same time, uh, giving myself credit for doing nothing.
But here we are. Um, I have a I have an episode for you guys today as you are here listening to it. And um, I had meant to edit this a little bit better uh, over my lunch break because I did get kind of choppy with my research. But uh, it should be okay um, because I didn't take lunch today because that's just how my life is now. <laughs> I didn't have time to take lunch, so I didn't have time to edit this beautiful podcast for you. Um, so hopefully it'll all kind of make sense. If not, we may have to do a little reach-a-roo um, and come back, but I think it should be okay. So with that being said, let me take a swig a leg of my drink and then we will get started. Okay, so today, pals, we're going to be talking about Ronald Dominique, aka the Bayou Serial Killer. Um, and I've never heard of this man before, so I was kind of really excited about it. And I fell, first of all, I fell right into a rabbit hole, which we haven't had a good one in a while. So I wasn't even mad about it. I was like, sweet. Love that we're going right in with a rabbit hole. I still have one that I've started researching, a different um, true crime story that I've started researching. And uh, I, it's, it's basically just a field of rabbit holes. And oh, I really want to do that, but I do want to make sure I do it justice. So I uh, am still working on that one. It's not ready. I don't want to put something out before it's ready. You know what I'm saying? Cool. Um, so first of all, Ronald Dominique, the Bayou serial killer, uh, th- th- we're just going to start because no, no place to start like uh, right now. So he was born on July 9th, 1964, and he was from the Bayou Blue area of Homa, Louisiana. Now, I'm not entirely... Yeah, he was technically born in a different city other than that, but I'm pretty sure from my understanding that he spent the majority of his life in Bayou Blue. That may be false. Um, I, I'll tell you what city he was officially born in in a second, but he was tech, like he's known to be from that area is what I'm trying to say. Cool. Get it, get it out. So fun facts. Homa is in the Terrebonne Parish in southeastern Louisiana, and it is about 50 miles southwest of New Orleans, just for like a visual reference of you. Um, Homa seems like a relatively-ish large city, um, but the Bayou Blue area is like a rural offshoot of that kind of bigger city. You know how rural suburbs work, right? Yeah, you know. Um, So it's in like the swampy part of Louisiana, i.e. the bayou. And um, this I thought was fun, though. The fun fact about Terrebonne Parish, though, um, it's the second largest parish in the state, um, as far as land area goes, not so much population. And it is the uh, predominant center for Cajun culture since the 18th century. I thought that was fun. And did you know that more than 10% of his residents speak French while at home? And it was named after the Homa people, which um, is Native Americans. And that mean means red. And the tribe's war emblem was a crawfish. thought that was super fun. Um, other settlers in the area, um, so they were... People moved in and around 1760, there were French colonists from Acadia, which is now Nova Scotia. I had no idea about that. And uh, they were expelled by the British in the Seven Years' War, and they became known as Cajuns. And they settled in the bayous in Terrebonne Parish. So they have a ma- massive Cajun culture. They're all from like French Canada, kind of. Canada? French Canada. I know what I'm... <laughs> French Canada, and uh, they, they're they there now, which is really cool. I thought that was some fun facts. 
So technically, our boy Ronald Dominique was born in Thibodeau, Louisiana. Uh, he attended high school, was part of the glee club, and sang in the choir. Um, his peers in high school made fun of him. Um, it was noted by other people later in his life that he was mercilessly made fun of in high school for being gay, although he never outright admitted to being um, a homosexual. Uh, so I kind of forced myself down a rabbit hole on this one because I thought that was strange. So in, I thought, okay, well, why would he be so, um, nervous about being homosexual? I wonder if there was like a backstory to that, you know, uh, because there was a time not that long ago where it was not considered, uh, right to be homosexual, which there's nothing wrong with being homosexual. Just going to clarify that. There's absolutely nothing wrong with that. Um, so I, I looked into the backstory of the history of LGBTQ plus culture in, in Louisiana in general. And I, I came across some very fascinating information. And I felt like this was super uh, good for Pride Month, which we are in. Happy Pride Month. So um, he would have been in high school in the early 1980s. Um, starting in 1980, I think, to 84, if I, I did the math, but I don't remember. So he would have been early 1980s, he would have been in high school. Um, and I thought that was odd, because when you look into it, he was super close to a very well-known LGBTQ plus forward community, which is New Orleans. Um, so New Orleans boasts their lively and long-lived gay social scene at New Orleans House is one of America's oldest gay bars, and it has one of the longest-running gay events, uh, which is the Fat Monday Luncheon, which started in 1949, which is really cool. Um, and also, it has the oldest gay social organization, the Steamboat Club, which was launched in 1953. Which is all very forward and ahead of its time, which is awesome. Like, you go, New Orleans. Uh, so, also... This is a super fun fact. When Ronald Dominique was in high school, so he was in high school in Thibodeau, Louisiana, right? Ellen DeGeneres, <laughs> so she was from New Orleans, or not New Orleans, but from Louisiana, from a nearby town. She emceed the New Orleans Mr. and Mrs. Gay Pride Contest in 1981, um, long before she came out publicly in 1997, um, which is awesome. Like, that's so cool. Ellen DeGeneres spoke at the Mr. and Mrs. Gay uh, Pride Contest in 1981 when he was in high school. Like, that's so cool. Um, in 1997, Louisiana earned, um, you know, the distinction of being the first state in the deeper South to pass uh, a hate crime law that covered sexual orientation. And um, partner benefits were given to city employees. And then in 1998, New Orleans became one of the earliest cities to add gender identity to its list of groups protected from discrimination, which is awesome. So you go Louisiana, you go New Orleans, like you're killing it. That's that's incredible. That's awesome. Unfortunately, uh, though, that's where the good news stops. There is no more good news for a while in the story. So bear with me. Um... On June 12th, 1985, which would have been, from my poor math skills, would be right after Ronald got out of high school. Um, so on June 12th, 1985, Ronald was arrested and charged with telephone harassment. He pled guilty and paid a $74 fine plus court fees. On May 15th, 1994, uh, he was arrested and charged with a DUI and speeding. On August 25th, 1996, he was arrested for forcible rape charges and booked on a $100,000 bond. 
When the time of the trial came, though, the witness slash victim who neighbors had said ran from Ronald's home half naked and shouting, he was trying to kill me, um, was, was unable to be located. From this, though, Ronald spent six months in prison um, and he decided in that moment that he did not ever want to return there. Um, so much like um, a previous serial killer, but I cannot remember their name right now, they realized that, you know, if you don't leave a victim, they can't rat you to police, right? Which is always, like, the dangerous territory we get into with uh, law offenders because that's usually when they start escalating is once they get caught the first time for a lesser crime they um they learn to not leave any witnesses for these crimes and uh from now it gets it gets really dark and so let's let's go on july 7th um well no sorry in july of 1997 so this was about a year later the body of david mitchell 19 was found In December 1997, 20-year-old Gary Pierre was found. Uh, In July 1998, Larry Ranson, 38, was found. Deceased, I should also say. These these poor individuals were not alive at the time of their discovery. In October uh, of 1998, Oliver LeBanks, who was 27, um, his body was found. On October 1998, Joseph Brown, who was 16, his body was found. And these are all in neighboring... I would say counties because I'm from the north, but they're parishes uh, in Louisiana speak. So they're all in like a, a general vicinity of each other. They're not like in the same exact city, but they're all in like the same rough area. In November 1998, Bruce Williams, 18, was found. In May 1999, Manuel Reed, 21, was found. In June 1999, Angel Meha, 34, was found. In August 1999, Mitchell Johnson was found. In January 2000, Michael Vincent, 23, was found. And on May uh, May 2000, so May 19th, 2000, um, Donald Dom- Ronald Dominique uh, received a summons to come to court on charges for d- disturbing the peace. He was able to pay the fine through the mail and he never had to go to court. On February 10th, 2002, he was arrested after he allegedly slapped a woman in the face during a Mardi Gras parade. The woman had, according to the story, hit a baby stroller with her car. She got out of the car and apologized to Ronald, even though it wasn't his kid, but he still freaked out. So um, Ronald verbally assaulted her and slapped her across the face, even though she had apologized and nobody was hurt. Um, Instead of going to court, he attended a program and graduated in October of 2002. That same month, Kenneth Randolph, 20, and Anoka Jones, 20, disappeared, and their bodies were found as well. In May 2003, Detrell Woods was found. On October 2004, Larry Matthews was found. He was 46. On October 2004, Michael Barnett, 21, was found. February 2005, Leon Lorette, 22, was found. April 2005, August Watkins, 31, was found. Also in April, Kurt Cunningham, 23, was found. In July 2005, Alonzo Hogan was found. He was 28 years old. In August 2005, Wayne Smith, 17, was found. In September of 2005, Chris DeVille, 40, was found. In November of 2005, Nicholas Pellegrin was 21. He was found. In October 2006, Chris Sutterfield, 27, was found. So, 
we're going to go just give me, yes. Okay. <laughs> Sorry. This is the part where I got my editing got a little messed up. So, um, we're going to go through here. So as Ronald aged, we'll get to the, we'll get to the parts again. Don't worry. Um, they did have the suspicion that it was a serial killer. I do know that for a fact because all the bodies were found, um, similarly, they all had, had all been murdered similarly as well. And we'll get to all those details in just a second. Um, you know, so as Ronald aged, he was helpful to his neighbors and seemed like a stand-up swell guy. He was also a cross-dresser and did, quote, bad. Somebody said they were bad, not me. I never saw them. But he said they, they said he did bad impersonations of Patti LaBelle at his local gay club. Allegedly, he didn't fit into either group, meaning his neighborhood or the gay, uh, the gay clubs. And from a few counts, someone who he said, sorry, my brain just decided to disappear again for one second. Um, People knew him as not being well-liked in the gay community. He was not respected. People did not like him. Why they didn't like him? I don't know. Uh, maybe because they probably knew on some level that he was murdering people, I guess. I'm not entirely sure, but he was not well-liked in the gay community. So, Ronald ended up in poor finance and in poor health. He was well overweight and needed a cane to walk. He was diagnosed with the severe heart condition, at least he said he was, and he was so poor that he was living with his sister in a single wide trailer. In this time, though, he had joined the Lions Club and called out bingo for senior citizens. And just months before he was arrested, he was considered a good member of the community and was supposedly well-liked. So apparently his younger years, like, people just did not like this guy. And then he got older and people apparently didn't really mind him all that much anymore. Not entirely sure. Um, so later on, though, investigators believe that Ronald had made up the heart condition uh, because... There was no proof that he had a really severe heart condition, and they thought his limp was absolutely a farce, because obviously, you know where the story is going, he had to do something with those bodies, and with the way he was walking on the cane, it couldn't have been possible, but they knew through science that it was him, so they thought he was definitely leading an act to say, like, oh, well... I can't do this because I have a bad leg when, like, he was really able-bodied, uh, able for the most part, and fine enough. Um, so a few days before his arrest, he had moved from his sister's home into a homeless shelter. Now, we're going to get into the nitty-gritty, because obviously, see, I try to be, like, sneaky and, like, be a good storyteller, but it's one of those things where, like, you know how this ends, so, I mean, how good of a storyteller can I be because you're going to know. <laughs> you know how the story ends. Um, so Dominique later had identified himself as a homosexual. He said he frequented gay bars in the southern Louisiana area. Um, he targeted men that he thought could pay for sex. He tried to pay them for sex. Um, and we're going to get a little bit further into that because I found a different article that had better information than what I'm about to read to you. So we're just going to keep on scooting along and don't mind me because I'm actually physically scooting along. Um, so Ronald confessed that he would pick men up on the side of the road and lured them into his car with the prospect of either money or to pay them to have sex with his wife, who was fake, obviously. Um, he showed them a picture of an attractive woman, and if they agreed, he would take them to his home. So, here's the deal. If, if the men allowed Ronald to tie them up saying under the excuse of like, well, he was into bondage or saying that his wife was shy and needed to be tied up. If the men allowed Ronald to tie them up, he saw this as them like 
giving up in a way. He would rape them and then suffocate them before dumping their bodies into cane fields or far-off bayous. I had to look up what a bayou was, and it's a marshy outlet of a lake or river swamp, FYI. I'm sure they're different, but that's what I'm trying to say. Um, and this is where my thing got a little messed up. 20-year-old Gary Pierre was found in October, no, in 2007, I think. Oh, wow. I don't know what happened. Some some editing happened here. But 20-year-old Gary Pierre was found six months later from somebody, and that is my bad. That must have gotten deleted. Um, in July of 1998... Oh, 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 oh. No, 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 no. I've already told you these people. Sorry. That was something that was supposed to be deleted, and it wasn't. So, okay. Um, a task force made up of nine different sheriff's offices in Louisiana, as well as the FBI, came together in March of 2005 to investigate the murders. They were aware of about 23 victims, who were mostly known as homeless men and those who led a high-risk li- high lifestyle, um, i.e. drug use, sex work, etc. Um, these victims had been found, they had been strangled and, or, and raped. Uh, so after the tip was received, which we will get to there, um, the task force was able to gather forensic evidence and charge Ronald Dominique, who was 42 at the time, with the rape of 19-year-old Manuel Reed and 27-year-old Oliver LeBanks. His neighbors described him as weird, but they never suspected him to be a killer. So this tip... An ex-convict told his parole officer the tip. He said he had gone to have sex with this man's wife, and then when the man said the wife was, quote, shy, and that he needed to be tied up for it, he left. He got spooked out and was like, no, dude, I'm not doing this with you. So given the number of men that had been found, bound in the bayou, police decided to follow up on the lead, which led to a trailer, which led them right to Ronald Dominique. Um... So when they found him, they arrested him on December 1st, 2006. He freely offered up his DNA, which tied him to the two aforementioned cases. He was complaining of a heart condition and used a cane. And once again, police believed that was bunk and not actually real life. So uh, he wasn't in custody very long, though. But shortly after his arrest, he confessed, he confessed to murdering 23 men. Ronald told police that if he invited someone to his home um, and they refused to be tied up, they could leave unharmed hence the man who gave the tip. Uh, Ronald allegedly found the spots where he dumped the bodies from working as a pizza delivery man or from reading utility meters. On September 23, 2008, Ronald was sentenced to eight life sentences after confessing to raping and killing his male victims over a 10-year period. He pled guilty to first-degree murder and in a deal to avoid the death penalty. And he is 56 years old and he's incarcerated at the state the Louisiana State Penitentiary, whoa, Louisiana State Penitentiary, there we go, in Angola, Louisiana. Um, and that's that, that's the story of Ronald Dominique. I thought this one was going to be a little bit longer, but he always really talk fast. I don't mean to, um, I just get really excited and I can't, uh, slow down about it. So, that's that and uh you know the drill follow me at cavity and true crime on instagram i have a youtube channel now it is interesting and fun for me um oh another fun fact someone was like do you really think you're gonna get famous on the internet from your podcast and youtube channels and first of all no 
No. <laughs> Do I think I'll get famous? No. I never. No. I don't think I'll make money doing this. I don't think I'll get famous doing this. Um, would it be cool? Fuck yeah, it'd be cool. But is that my intention? Absolutely not. Um, if I wanted to get famous and make a lot of money on the internet, I could think of much better ways to go about that than the way that I'm going about it. If you catch, if you catch my drift, right? On that one, there's a much more lucrative career that could be made by a young female on the internet or a young male on the internet, whichever your spice is. And um, I'm not, I'm not doing this for that. I'm doing this to have fun, and it's something that I like to do. And I've always told you guys a million bajillion times that if there's ever something I didn't find fun, I wouldn't do it anymore. So, no. I have a YouTube channel with my stepdaughter. She is awesome and incredible and fun. And I do this because I also find this amazing and fun and a great experience. It's caused me, well not caused me, but it's given me the opportunity to meet a ton of people I never would have met before. I'm from all over the world. And that I'm thankful for. And this is just what I like to do, you know, I just, this is fun for me. I could, I mean, I'm literally sitting in a closet by myself telling you guys a story. And are there you guys listening? I don't know. I mean, I know people listen to this, but not like a billion people. I'm just, I'm having fun. And if me sitting here having fun can help you guys have fun, that's my jam, right? So um, with that all being said, I hope you guys have a great True Crime Tuesday. And I mean, I hope everything, I hope you get everything you want. (laughs) What that is, I'm not sure, but I hope you get it. So, um, with that, peace out. I'll catch you next week. Hopefully with the episode that I've been trying to write for a month now. We'll see. (laughs) And, uh, goodbye.